0: You're listening to Opera Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This week on the University Series, we're speaking with Assumption College and Dr. Karen Lionello-Denolf. Dr. Lionello-Denolf is a board-certified behavior analyst and an experimental psychologist. Her research interests are in the area of experimental and applied behavior analysis, autism spectrum disorders, developmental disabilities, and relational learning. The primary goal of her recent research has been to increase functional communication skills that are necessary for individuals with limited language ability to effectively use augmentative and alternative communication devices. Her current projects include exploring how learning history influences people's willingness to cooperate with others in a shared task, teaching methods that result in better development of symbolic relations, and best practices in training service delivery staff to implement teaching programs to students with autism. I am here with Dr. Karen Lionello denloff and we are going to be talking about Assumption College today. First, thank you, but-
1: Absolutely, I'm excited to talk with you.
0: I know, we've talked before, so this is just kind of like a, okay, yeah, let's keep going. Um, (laughs) But can you start off with an overview of Assumption? So Assumption is a small liberal
1: arts college in central Massachusetts. We're located in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, It is a Catholic college. Uh, We have an undergraduate program um, that's strong in the liberal arts and then we have a variety of graduate programs. Um, We have a number of different counseling graduate programs, an MBA program, uh, MBA in healthcare management, and then we have a relatively new applied behavior analysis program that I'm going to talk about today. And we also have, starting next year, a new physician's assistant program.
0: That's exciting. Uh, do you want me to
1: give some more information about <laughs> Assumption,
0: or I'm- sure? Do you want to, if you want to, give some more general information, or we can jump into some of the more specifics. I'm not quite sure what kind of general information. Say <laughs> That's okay. Say <laughs> That is okay. So um, what about the behavior analysis programs? Um, I know you said that, you know, a relatively new one. And then you yep. also the undergrad. Um, yeah. So tell us about that program. So the
1: undergraduate program is our newest program. So we just finished our second complete year and it is a minor in applied behavior analysis that um, students in any major can choose. So um, we get most of the, uh, most of the people who have been minoring in ABA so far have been psychology majors and some human services majors, but it's open to anybody in the college. It's an interdisciplinary minor, so we have most of the, well we have one course um, that's psychology of learning that's in our psychology program, and it's also one of the foundation courses for the minor. And then we have another course that originated in the human services department that's also part of the minor. Um, So that one goes over basic principles a little bit, and then it's a lot of behavior assessment. Um, And then the rest of the classes um, were ones that I created for the minor specifically and so those go over the rest of the information that you need um, for the ABA minor. The ABA minor is a verified course sequence um, for the BC ABA credential and it's all undergraduate classes. So it's solely for people who are interested in learning more about behavior analysis as an undergraduate student and then if they want to pursue certification they can. Um, As part of the interdisciplinary nature of the minor, we have students choose an elective class and the electives are um, from a list of classes in our education department, our psychology department, or the human services department. Um, So there's there's a number of things for students to choose from depending on what sort of career trajectory they want to go in. So if they're an education student, um, they can pick one of the education classes. We do encourage them, though, to kind of break out of their major for the elective and, and pick something different so that they can kind of get that exposure. The nice thing, too, about the minor in terms of it being interdisciplinary is we do, we do have a lot of students who are interested in autism, and so they are um, getting the information that they need to work with people with autism. But I really do try, and all of us who teach in the, in the undergraduate program really do try and showcase the, the science of ABA and how this is applying to human behavior and not specifically as a treatment for autism. So students who want to go on and, uh, you know, maybe work in the business settings will get something out of the minor as well. Um, or people who want to work with adults with disabilities, not necessarily people with autism, they will have, have that kind of content as well.
0: And that's exciting, especially for undergrads, because I know that when I was in undergrad, actually before I even transferred to the behavior analysis program, I worked at an adult day facility and then filled in, in some in-home services as well. Yep. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't, it wasn't the autism diagnosis. It was, there was schizophrenia, there was bipolar, there was multiple profound disabilities, physical disabilities. Yep. Um, but it was the same. And once I got into the field, I was like, or once I, you know, started my coursework as an undergrad, I was like, "There's so much we could be doing," you know, with these individuals as well. Yes. And so, yeah. That's go one ahead. of the
1: really nice things about Worcester is that there are a number of agencies within Central Massachusetts that provide services for adults um, who don't necessarily have autism, but they are doing it from a behavior analytic perspective. So the capstone class in our minor is um, a community service learning course. Service is one of the elements of the mission of assumption. And so when I created the minor, I tried to weave that into into the program as well. And so the capstone course is community service learning. So as part of that course, students are required to volunteer someplace in the community that provides behavior analytic services, Um, but it's truly volunteer. They're not there to learn skills. They're, learn, they're there to actually give something back and then to see how behavior analysis is being applied um, within that setting. And so what I've been trying to do is um, Find uh, a range of different placements for students so that they can kind of get exposure to what behavior analysis looks like in different fields. Um, and so one of those has been in um, a, a human services agency that's prevalent throughout the state that, that does provide adult services. Um, so our st- we had, I think, three students placed there this semester and they were able to get some good exposure to you know the different ways that you can see behavior anal- analysis being applied before the, the pandemic occurred and all of that got canceled. <laughs> but it was really nice too because this agency needed help putting together assessment binders and I'm completely blanking on the assessment itself that they told me that the students were going to be working on but they needed you know the materials put together for each individual client and they just didn't have the the staffing available to do it so our students were able to go in and do that for them so it was a really nice way for the students to to be able to interact with some professionals interact with the clients and then also do something to help them it was a good experience
0: yeah, and a lot of the times you don't really get the assessment knowledge other than just you know like reading through it. yeah, kind coming familiar with what's in it um, yes. until you get that actual hands-on experience putting you know the assessment like like you said, the assessment binders and materials and things together to really know what you know goes into it. So that's I mean that's that's a really cool thing rather than just in one of your undergrad courses, you know, I mean, even when I was teaching as an adjunct in an undergrad course sequence, it was, I taught the assessment one that was one time I taught the assessments and I made sure to bring in all the assessment books that they yes. haven't seen because a lot of times they're just talked about and it's like, okay, yes. this is this one. This is this one. This is this one. So I'm like, okay, here you guys go. Here are actual physical assessment books. We're going through these because um, a lot of them are huge. and. <laughs> You might not know what's really in them until you get halfway through it and you're like, oh, I didn't prep for this.
1: Right, right. So one of the things that I've tried to do when I've taught assessment is to bring those books in and then also um, to have the students kind of role play with each other so that they can get a little bit of experience. It's not the same thing, obviously, as working with a client, um, but it does give them an idea because, you know, there's a huge difference, like as you were saying, between reading about something and I think sometimes you get like this false feeling that you know what you're doing because you've read it and it made sense. Um, but it's a whole world of difference when you actually go and do it. Even the little bit of role play experience kind of gives them that lesson. And I think that's a really valuable one for them to take with them. Um, just speaking of that, the other setting that the students did their community service learning at this past semester was a special education collaborative. So they got to see a very different sort. Of um, environment and they also were able to do something hands-on helping out that helping out the collaborative and that they um, put together vocational training boxes for their clients so um, what's really cool about this collaborative is that our program's affiliation had been with um, their autism program and the director of their autism program recently took over the another department at the collaborative for um, children with social emotional developmental needs. Um, so she's trying to create some behavior analytic programming in that program as well. Um, and so the vocational boxes were for that, that population. So they got that exposure there too, um, which was just really great for the students.
0: It's really exciting too, because not only are the students able to, you know, go in and see what professionals are doing, but then the professionals are also like, oh, wow, no, we could also use. They're they're kind of like figuring out like, oh, we could also use it here. Oh, we could yes. also use it here, and I mean that's I mean that's just really cool within itself. So Absolutely. that's really good to hear. Yeah, it, it's been a lot
1: of fun. The students have been really excited, and I've been really excited about the number of students who have been interested in ABA at the undergraduate level. I think we have um, we had three. So last year was the first full year of our minor and we had three students graduate with the minor. This year we have eight and I think we have seven or eight declared for the class of 2021. And that's an underestimate um, because students aren't required to declare their minor until right before they graduate. So we don't actually know how many there are. For a small school to have that many students interested in it this quickly, it's really exciting. And when we've done, and this is what really blows me away, when we've done recruiting events just for the undergraduate college, we'll get students, high school students and parents coming up to our psychology table, or our human services table, asking about ADA and do we have anything about that. And I'm just like, wow, you're, you're 17 years old, or you're 18 years old, and you know what this is already. And that's just really awesome.
0: Um, yeah, because I, like you have heard me say before, I didn't know anything about behavior analysis until I accidentally took one course on it, so um, yeah, it was the same for me. (laughs) Yes, so um, I completely Yeah, it's it's amazing to hear that you know younger and younger and younger. Like, no, this is what I want to get into. So that's really really good to hear. And so you know, we've talked about the undergrad a little bit. So Mm -hmm. what about the graduate students and that program? What does that look like?
1: So our graduate program is still relatively new as well. Um, I was hired in 2015 to create the program. So we're starting, I think we're gonna have cohort five start in the fall. Um, So that's really exciting. Um, It is also a verified course sequence. So we have the, the courses that students need to sit for the BCBA exam. We also um, give them a little bit extra training, and I should back up a little bit. So the, the focus of our program is to teach students about the science of behavior analysis and how to apply it. It's not a focus on autism treatment, but a focus just on application in general. So like the undergraduate program, we really try and highlight that throughout the program. Most of our students want to work with individuals with autism. So they, they do get that training obviously, but we do try like throughout the, the career curriculum to weave in examples of applications across a wide variety of human problems. We also have been attracting a number of students who are interested in working with the adult population, which has been really exciting. So the little bit of extra coursework that that, that they get is, um, in addition to the course sequence, they take a course on the experimental analysis of behavior. Um, I really want them to have a firm grounding in basic principles. when they take the basic principles class, it's more from an EAB perspective than from an applied perspective. And then they get another dose of that in the EAB class, um, which runs during the summer. So I'm just now preparing for this next group. Um, and that's a fun class to teach. They get, it's just kind of a survey of what's going on. So there's a, about half the class, we talk about different types of quantitative models and how you're gonna apply that and why are we doing this. And then in the second half, there's more of a focus on stimulus control related issues. Um, So it's a really fun class. They also take some interdisciplinary classes to kind of round out their education. So we just changed the structure of the program so that they choose two interdisciplinary electives. And there's three different categories that they pick from. One category is to foster collaboration with um, other disciplines and other service providers, and the goal of those electives is to kind of teach students the soft skills that they need for interacting with other people, how to listen, how to make people feel like you're listening, um, how to really translate what you're saying into a language that they're going to understand, because if you come at them talking about behavior analytic language and they don't have training in that, they're not going to understand you at all. Um, and so we don't, we don't want that. And I, and I think that we're really good at training um, our students to build rapport with their clients, And I want them to have the skills for building rapport with um, parents and caregivers and other service providers as well. So there's a couple of options of classes they can take. One is a counseling class that's taught through our rehabilitation counseling program. And then another one is a new class that um, is in our education program, our special education program on collaboration in the schools. So students are really gonna be able to tailor You know, what environment am I going to go work in and kind of pick a class based on that. Um, Another interdisciplinary category is on um, just basic human development. Um, So I want them to have an understanding of what typical development looks like so that you kind of have a benchmark of, you know, what are, what am I supposed to be doing here? And they have a couple of options of classes that they can take in some of our different programs. Um, We have a school counseling program and a clinical counseling psych program. And so they can choose um, which one they take. And then the third category is on um, atypical development. So we have a course that's part of our ABA program. Um, It's developmental and intellectual disabilities related to behavior analysis, so that class is really nice because it gives students an overview of different disabilities that people that they work with might present with, but it also goes further to talk about, well, what impact has behavior analysis had for treatments for those disorders, or if it hasn't, what could we be doing there, so that they kind of get that perspective And in that course, too, and we do this in in the ethics course, too, but we also do a a focus on um, non-evidence-based treatments so that students are able to kind of get the critical thinking skills that they need to distinguish between what is evidence-based and what isn't, what's behavior analytic and what isn't. And if it's not behavior analytic, can we explain this in behavior analytic principles so that we don't get up all up in arms about something that we don't need to get up in arms about? And then the third, uh, the other option in that category is a class in our special education department on autism specifically. So if you know that that's where you're going to go, you can take just focus on autism. Another really strong feature of our program is that we include fieldwork as part of the degree. So it's not it's not an option for students; they have to do it. And I think that it's a really important benefit of our program um, because it gives students the chance to to develop the skills and apply what they're learning about in concert with the curriculum. So it's the the practicum sequence is coordinated with the curriculum so that the students learn about something and then they take the practicum class where they can learn to apply it. Or they're they're learning about it at the same time they're taking that particular practicum class. So the course, the, the work that we give them to do in practicum, um, we have a series of assignments that we've developed in order for them to develop the skills on the task list um, so that we can make sure that they're hitting all of the things that they need to know. Um, and it's a real focus on teaching them how to be a behavior analyst in the field, which I think is really important. So they, they get that case conceptualization, Um, They learn how to diagnose problems and develop all of those skills on the task list. And they're not left to figure it out on their own. Um, There's a lot of requirements, um, and we're coordinating that for them. And I mean, obviously, it's the student's responsibility, and they have to be on top of making sure they're meeting all of the requirements. But they've got someone there who's checking it every month to make sure that, yep, all of our T's are crossed and all of our I's are dotted, and this month's okay. Okay. and I think that that's a real advantage.
0: I really like that too, because I know that, you know, when you have those practicum opportunities set up that are connected to your program, it, it, it is the most ideal that you can get. And I mean, just, I know you were talking about some of the courses and some of like the controversial therapies and things yep. like that. And I was like, Oh, I have, I have that. I have that yes. like right here, right. Yes. Sitting right next to <laughs> we me. use that book. <laughs> Yeah, so I know I have my controversial therapies for treat, treatment book right here sitting next to me. So um, I was like, oh, yeah, it's right here. <laughs> um, for my personal experience in my master's program, we tend to, like you kind of mentioned too with the assessments, but with mm-hmm. the treatments, we tend to get a little gung-ho about, and that's great because, you know, we're getting our students excited and this and that. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes we can be a little bit too much and be like, and turn things down too quickly, which can, like you said, which is, you need to focus on building caregiver rapport as well and parent rapport, not just with your client. Yep. Um, But I mean, I had a situation in grad school where um, we were doing in-home consulting. My PhD student mentor, Mm -hmm. um, he would, you know, go out with me. And we'd work together on the cases and the parents wanted to try something. And, you know, I didn't say something like right then and there, but when him and I were talking about it afterwards, I would, I'd bring up, I was like, that's not evidence-based. We can't do that. And he goes, okay, Shauna, wait, is it harmful right. to, the, to our client or to their progress? I was like, well, no. And he's like, okay, why don't we say, we'll give it a try. Let's take some data on it and be able to show them if it's effective or ineffective. Right, exactly. And that was, you know, that was a very big learning moment for me because, you know, it's it's like, oh, that's not evidence-based. We need to be doing this. No, we need to constantly be testing things to make sure that things can get to be evidence-based or that, you know, prove them as they're not evidence-based. So having that... Correlation between the classes you're taking and your practicum are. I see I, the importance is right there. So.
1: It's it's so it's so beneficial for them and the feedback that I've gotten from um, BCBA's in the community who have been supervising our students have been it's been really positive. They like the the approach that we're taking. We're doing a collaborative approach to supervision. So we provide some supervision. We have um, supervisors that we have hired to to work with our students. But we also ask the students to have a supervisor at their site who who knows their client, or their clients, I should say. And um, we work really closely with them. So we'll go out and meet with them. I'll go out and meet with them every semester prior to the start of the semester. Um, make sure everybody's on board, we'll check in with each other frequently throughout the semesters so um, that we can really make sure that the students are being supported and that the clients are benefiting from this as well.
0: Yep and that's wonderful because I know that I'm sort of in that position right now as the on-site supervisor, mm-hmm. although you know we don't have clients like it's not a clinical setting, it's an OBM setting, Yep. Um, but at the same time I'm their on-site supervisor yep. that and I'm in charge of a lot of the stuff that they need to be doing for their curriculum as well, not just for us. Um, so I completely understand. Um, and so we've talked a lot about the programs yep. and the practicum sites, which are yep. very exciting, yep. um, but what about the faculty?
1: So we're small program still, we're still new. Um, I am full-time faculty and the program director. Um, We have a number of really great faculty who have been with us since the beginning, um, and they're really diverse. Among the faculty that we've had from the beginning, um, we've got some people who have really strong clinical experience in school systems, who have been consulting to schools or working as school BCBAs. Um, We have got some faculty who um, have established their own clinics in the Worcester area so that they ha- they're able to bring that center-based experience to the students. And then we have a number of faculty who have worked in um, private residential schools for children with autism. Um, so those faculty in particular have a really strong research focus as well. Um, what's been really nice is that a number of our faculty Um, A number of our part-time faculty have um, uh, doctorates in behavior analysis or related fields. So, um, they're able to bring in some multidisciplinary knowledge um, into the program as well. So, for example, we'll have some faculty who have um, doctorates in behavior analysis, so they've got that advanced knowledge about behavior analysis. But then we have some faculty who have doctoral degrees in Education related fields so they're able to bring in um, a different kind of experience for our students. That's been really nice in helping round out their education. Um, I think the faculty are a real strength of our program. Um, And even though um, some of our faculty are part time faculty, they are all devoted to our students. Um, So we're a close-knit community. We all know each other Um, as program director. I know who all of the students are. I know who all of their their supervisors are at their sites. And all of us, um, whether we're full-time or part-time, Um, are always willing to go that extra mile for the students. So we're there to support them in terms of um, help that they might need with their coursework or for career planning or research planning. One thing I didn't mention about the program was that we have an optional research thesis um, so students can choose to do that and um, if they they don't want to do that um, some students are really hesitant about getting involved in research especially if they didn't have that um, experience as an undergrad and they don't really know what it's all about um, they're able to kind of do it on the side as like a volunteer basis um, so you know people are willing to work with them in that capacity as well so it's um the faculty are, are really great in 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 that regard that they're they're diverse they have really strong clinical skills um, some of them have really strong research skills on top of that um, and they're all really excellent teachers
0: so it's been it's been really good. Yeah. And what I wanted to ask about, too, is that, you know, from reading your history and you also bring in a I I mean, you know, I only know what I read on the screen, (laughs) Um, but, you know, you have your master's and your Ph.D. in experimental psychology.
1: Yes. So I came at this field from a, a different way than most people. I didn't come up through the applied field. Um, when I was an undergraduate, I was first exposed to behavior analysis in a learning and conditioning class um, that had a rat lab in it. And that I that was just so much fun. And that's what kind of I had originally wanted to go into more clinical psychology kind of thing. Um, and that's kind of what changed my mind from that. So from there, I went to... Um, to graduate school at Purdue University working with Peter E. Choli. So this was um, a pigeon lab where we did a lot of stimulus control work, um, working in a number of different a number of different research topics, um, one of them being stimulus equivalents. So after I graduated, I came out to Massachusetts to work with Bill McIlvain and Bill Duby at the Shriver Center. Um, and that's where I started doing translational work with children with autism. Um, and so it kind of my route into the applied world kind of came through like this trans translational path, which is, um, it's different, but I think it's a real strength for our students. I have a really strong background in basic principles, experimental design and research and, taking those things and and, and and seeing how we can translate them into applied solutions. Um, and I think that that's something that I bring to the classroom that is different than a lot of other programs. And I think it's a real benefit to the students. They struggle with it sometimes, but I think that they come out so much stronger for having done it.
0: Well, and I fully agree because there is... This is my personal opinion, too. Um, So I want to throw that caveat in there. But sometimes it feels that, you know, when, because I was in clinical work for a while before I changed to the OBM field. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sometimes when you're in the field, it kind of feels like you start getting this plateau of you're in, you just keep doing the same things over and over and over and over again. And I've seen so much more translational research coming out yeah. recently. It's so and exciting. Yeah, I'm so excited for it, because just because we have something that, you know, we've proven that works, doesn't mean we can't make it better. Yeah, And there are better ways to do things, and that is where this translational work is gonna come in. So having these students who are getting this type of training, and yeah, it's not easy it's not (laughs) easy at all. (laughs) I mean, even trying to read a lot of like the articles and the publications that are out there, um, it can be difficult to understand this because you have to have a whole different set of analytical skills that a lot of time applied clinicians are not taught to have. And And so... that's
1: what... That's what I'm trying to give them in the EAB class. Um, and I tell them too, you know, we start off, I'm like, look, you're not going to be able to take the stuff we're talking about here today and apply it to what you're doing and in your jobs right now. Um, but the purpose of this is to kind of learn the process and learn how to read these articles and just kind of have an idea of what's going on in this world because at some point you are going to encounter a client that is not going to respond to the things that you know, and then what are you going to do? The literature that you might have to go to is going to be this translational literature, and you have to be able to to decipher it. Um, so that's what we work on.
0: Yeah, and that's really exciting because, um, like you said, we like you said we have these clients that are not going to respond, and especially when you start getting into working with adults, yes, and non-autism diagnoses as well and I know I had the most fun of my clinical experience when I was an independent consultant working for just a mental health company and you know they provided a ton of services but they provided behavioral services and it was my I think my youngest was six and my oldest was like 76 oh wow and (laughs) and so um, I loved it because you know I had a history of working with adults I had a history of working with children, but the types of diagnoses that I was getting and the types of environments that I was going into were so varied. Yes. And having that background and the background that, you know, the methods that you're teaching your students is so important. It is so important. Absolutely. So it's so exciting to hear. I I love hearing about (laughs) that. That's one of my new things that I'm all – Gung ho about is translational guys. Come on, not just clinical, not just clinical translational. That's great right. because um, right. we can't have one without the other. No, and I, I really help. hope that I really hope that they continue studying once they graduate.
1: That they continue looking at these things because it's the kind of skill that you need to keep using it. Um, otherwise, it's going to start to go away, and you don't want that to happen.
0: So, what about the application process? I know that the undergrads are probably just a standard, you know, coming into the school and coming yes. the program. Um, but what about for the master's students? So there's actually a couple of different
1: things, and one of them starts with the undergrad. Starting for um, not the incoming class for 2020, but the incoming freshman undergraduate class for 2021 is going to have um, something that we're calling a dual degree option. So this is, it's not like a fifth year program, but what it is is kind of like a a direct entry into the master's program. So if they're um, someone who in high school now knows that they want to go through and eventually become a BCBA, um, they can apply for this dual, dual entry sort of program where they'll be accepted into the undergraduate program. And then they have a series of benchmarks that they need to meet along the way but if they meet those and it's like a gpa benchmark um, obviously being an aba minor um, and having some recommendations from the faculty but as long as they meet those benchmarks they're going to automatically be admitted into the master's program they don't have to go through the the regular um, admissions process so that's one route Just in terms of if you're someone right now who's working in the field and you've decided you want to go back and get your master's degree, um, you already have a bachelor's degree. The application process is pretty easy. Um, It's an online application. Um, We don't have an application fee, Uh, we don't require the GRE. Um, You do need to have a GPA of 3.0 or better. Um, You need to have three letters of recommendation. I really prefer if you have one or more academic letters of recommendation, so a professor who can talk about um, your ability in the classroom because that's really what we're trying to assess with your application. Are you going to be successful in this in this program? Um, I do realize that for many people, they fall into this field. So they might graduate and then go work for a company for a couple of years, really just to kind of do this until they find the job that they want and then they discover that this is the job that they want. I have a lot of students that that happened to. Um, But the longer that you're out of college, the harder it is to get that academic reference. So we will accept three professional letters, um, but we do prefer an academic letter. The letters should address your ability to, to, to complete graduate level work. Um, and then if you've been working in the field, they can also talk about your clinical skills and your understanding of behavior analysis that the, the letter writer's been able to get from, from working with the student. Um, we also require a personal statement. Um, so the personal statement serves two purposes. One is to kind of let us know You know, do you know what this field is about and why do you want to to become a BCBA? Why are you interested in behavior analysis? Um, And then the second purpose is this is a writing sample, um, so it's helping us determine what kind of student you are. Um, So, you know, please always make sure to check for typos and things like that. Um, And then also a resume. Um, So we don't have like a requirement for a particular major in college um, because, like I said before, a lot of people kind of fall into this field. Um, So, you know, it doesn't really matter what your undergraduate degree was in. And I think that that's about, oh, and then there's an interview. So um, once the graduate committee looks through the um, applications, we will select people to interview. And it can be, it had been in-person interviews in my office. Um, right now with the the social distancing requirements, um, they are Zoom interviews. That's just generally an interview with me and then I will, um, we have a standard set of questions and then the committee will make a decision on on applicants.
0: And I noticed on the website that it says for a fall start date, the admission deadline is July
1: 1st. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Yes, it is. Um, it's, it's a tight deadline. So if you are interested, so that's the deadline for this year. Last year it was June 15th. We did push it back a little bit this year because of um, the issues with the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, so it might, I can't guarantee that it'll be Jan- July 1st next year, next year. as well. Um, it might be a little bit earlier. If you apply before then you will get your decision long like if you were to apply like say in February we don't make you wait until the summer to right. know the committee will review your application you know sometime in February or March and get back to you so you know if you apply sooner you'll know sooner
0: yeah that, that's just very nice to know and I just like to point that out because a lot of times you know when we talk to schools I kind of like to point this out because what is it, fall of, what year is it, 2020? <laughs> Whatever year, I don't even know what year it is anymore. Um, fall of 2020, you know, they would have had to have known, you know, some of these other schools are making them apply, you know, in December of yes. 2019. And so, you know, I wanna make sure that people know that they can apply at the same time as, as they may be applying to other universities and colleges to get the decision at the same yes, time as absolutely. they're getting it with with the other colleges so that they can make a decision.
1: Yes, absolutely. So yes. we're we're still a relatively small program, so we just have a fall start right now. Um, it's kind of a cohort model, so students take the courses um, in the same sequence generally together, um, unless they decide to, to go part-time and then they're a little bit out of sequence. But students, they can apply at any time and be admitted for the fall. So. Um, you know, if you were to apply to the program in, like, September, but, you know, you wanted to start in September of 2021, you can apply in September and maybe be accepted in October or, or, or November, and then you just know where you're going, um, and you can relax.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So what about the area? So, we're in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is right in Central Mass. So, it's a really good location. Um, because it's pretty convenient to get anywhere from Worcester. It's about an hour to to Boston, it's about an hour to Providence, maybe a little bit more than an hour to Hartford. Um, So you have access to some of these other cities. But Worcester is a really nice city um, in and of itself. Um, The campus itself is in a really beautiful section of Worcester. It's in a nice residential section and we're kind of an enclosed campus. Um, so it's very pretty and very calm and and quiet on campus, but we're not far from downtown Worcester. So there's, you know, activity downtown. There's um, a lot of nice restaurants um, and some, there's a, a theater, um, like a Hanover Theater. Um, and one of the big things is that we have the... Um, the Triple A team for the Boston Red Sox that are moving from Rhode Island to to Worcester. So we're going to have, um, I think they're going by the Woo Sox now. So we're going to have um, we're going to have the baseball team here. And so there's a lot of work being done to renovate that particular area of the city. So it's going to be really nice. Um, the surrounding areas are nice places to live. Um, there's lots of opportunities for students to. To get jobs. Um, you know, that a lot of um, there are a lot of um, agencies that provide in-home services. There are a lot of school systems that have um, behavior therapist positions, um, aid positions. There's a lot of independent clinics, um, residents, some residential schools that aren't far from here. Um, and we have a lot of um, good relationships with area agencies so that our students have not really had any difficulty finding practicum placements. So that's been really nice. Um, it's, a, it's a nice place to live. We moved here um, from the Midwest. I'm originally from outside of Chicago in 2001. And we've been really happy here. Um, we moved, you know, right to the Worcester area when we
0: came out here and it's, it's been nice. And can I just say too, when someone looks at where Assumption is located, when you mm-hmm. look at the name, I did not read it as Worcester. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I just want to point that out. No, <laughs> that... yes.
1: It's not It's not pronounced the way that it's spelled. Um, and that's true for a lot of towns in Massachusetts. Um, there's actually, if, if you Googled it, you might be able to find it. But there's a funny little um, video on YouTube where it's got people making fun of the different ways that names are pronounced out here.
0: It's not Massachusetts but I have a grad school friend who is from um, like Pennsylvania yep and even how he pronounces some stuff he I know he gets made fun of for it too <laughs> like what like water yes for, for water yep and things like that so um, but that's just something you know that I did want to point out that if somebody was looking up assumption and you know they heard you say Worcester but then they saw like a R yes. in the middle War, of the- Worcester, <laughs> yes. something like that, it's, yes, you were there. Don't yes. worry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's the right place. Yes, There's a silent R in the middle of Worcester. Yes.
0: yes. Um, another thing i just like to point out is that when you're in this area, you're so close to so many other states and activities and things like that, too. Absolutely. That you could so much exploring. As well. Absolutely. So we have, um, there's skiing
1: not too far from here. There's actually skiing at Mount Wachusett here in Massachusetts, but then you could also go up into Vermont or New Hampshire. Um, we have really easy access to the beaches. So there are beaches, obviously, in Massachusetts, but you can also fairly quickly get to beaches in Rhode Island and Connecticut, and a lot of people go up in Maine. Um, so there's those sorts of things to do. There's lots of hiking. If you're an outdoors kind of person, there are a lot of different types of things that you can do here.
0: And I know that from personal experience, there's a ton to do over there. So I haven't spent a lot, I haven't spent time in Worcester, but I spent time, um, traveling, you know, from Rhode Island into Mm -hmm. Massachusetts and just have seen the plethora of things that you're able to do and there's so many different types of um it's kind of like a melting pot there's so there's so much different food and activities it just things that you know if you like if you want to do it you can find it absolutely is is what i have what i have seen absolutely yeah And if you want country you can have country if you want mountains you can have mountains if you want seaside you can have seaside if you want big city, you can have big city. Um, it's all very, very close together.
1: Yeah. And Worcester is like the right in the center of all of it. So it's, it's the perfect location for all of those things. Yes. Cause you're right in the middle and it's not going to take long to get to any of it.
0: Yeah. Um, and so I know we've talked about a lot, but what, is there anything else that you want to say about assumption or about the program in general?
1: So one thing that I was thinking about before we started talking that I, I haven't mentioned yet, um, Assumption, you know, is it's a small Catholic liberal arts school. And one thing that's really important at Assumption is the mission of the college and that mission also extends to our graduate programs. Um, and there's two things in particular that I kind of wanted to talk about um, related to our mission. And one is um, compassionate service where we're trying to, to teach Um, Our students to go back and to serve the community and we try and do that in the ABA program as well. I mean, I don't have like the community service learning sort of thing that we talked about with the undergraduates. Um, But for the graduate students, you know, the whole focus of the way that we're teaching them is that, you know, we're teaching you to how are you best going to serve your client. Um, And so we kind of connect with the mission that way. We're, we're really looking at um, teaching our students to really focus on um, you know the the entire picture for the client when they're providing services and not just focus on one or two particular behaviors but like that that big that big picture Um, and then another area of the mission that I think is really important is um, teaching students critical intelligence and we do this throughout the ABA program and I know that this is kind of built into behavior analysis in general um, but we really try and focus on um, That critical analysis and teaching students to think critically um, so that that makes them a better clinician when they go out to serve their clients, Um, you know, and partly the way that we do that, um, like I had mentioned with the undergraduate program about teaching that um, Evidence based um, uh, How to identify an evidence based treatment. We really focus on that in the the graduate program as well. um, So that, you know, students are able to go out there and make you know, good decisions about the different types of treatment options, um, for their students.
0: Yeah. And that's a very good point to bring up. And this is also something that I've noticed when we have been talking to these schools in Massachusetts is they're very focused on like community as yep. well. And you, you mentioned it earlier too, about giving back yep. to the community around you. And it's been a really, it's just been, you know, very in, Inspiring to hear it from multiple schools that we've talked to in Massachusetts. That you know, this is this is something that they're very passionate about, and making sure that you know they're focusing on their whole clients and the Absolutely. community and giving back. Yes. Absolutely, so, yeah. I, we all we all live here.
1: Um, we're all connected to each other, so I think it's a really important important thing to focus on in the
0: program. And I,
1: it's the students have I think they benefit from it
0: and the types of experiences that. You're able to give your students not only you know having a higher like even a bigger focus on that translational piece and that experimental piece and teaching them that, but also the different types of practicum opportunities Absolutely. that that are provided um it's it's a very you know a lot of people probably haven't heard of assumption, and I mean that's the point of the podcast that's but, right, but at the same time, like for being a small program in a small school it's really focusing on catering to make sure that their students are getting the types of experiences that they really they that they want absolutely yes yes and helping them grow into these very well-rounded behavior analysts whether it's working in a clinical setting or working in a more experimental you know eab translational setting or any type of setting that they want. So I hope I get one of those one of those students for I know right. (laughs) Hey, it it might, you know, it's always a smaller percentage. But they're out there. They are out there. (laughs) Um and I know that I found that too when I was uh Teaching undergrads in a course sequence a couple of years ago. Well, so. I just got
1: an email from an undergraduate who was in my my psychology of learning class yeah. this semester, and she was a senior. And what she said was that you know she's she took this class as an elective, and she hadn't been too excited about it. And she's going to graduate school to be an SLP, and that she's like I am just so happy that I took this class because it's really she's like it's pushed me out of what I what I knew. And there's so many things I'm going to take with me to my graduate program. And I mean, that was the best kind of feedback that I could get, because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Even if you're not going into this field, there is so much that you can take with you to where you are going. Right. And, you know, she, she got that. And that yeah. was just great.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and then if you think about that as a, like, a, with the field as a whole, that even starts pushing dissemination even more. Because, you know, she learned it at a young age and she's probably going to hopefully continue
1: to yes. use
0: the <laughs> analytic research and principles to continue on in her field. Then other SLPs will see that and fingers crossed. That's how that yes. works, right? <laughs> <to you>. Yes. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover? I think we've covered about everything. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been thank great you. finally hearing about Assumption. I know when we talked before, I was like, I just wanted to ask questions. <laughs> um, but I tried to save them for this. Oh, good. Um, but thank you again. Well, thank you for this opportunity. This has been really exciting. It's my first podcast, so this was fun. Thank you for listening to this week's University Series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at operantinnovations at abatechnologies.com.